The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for episode 57 of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be exploring the case of 37-year-old Charles Anthony McKinney Jr., who was gunned down as he sat in his SUV in an area of New Jersey known for some of its violent crime. But Charles was an upstanding citizen and tried not to get in trouble. His murder is not simply a case of someone who got mixed up with the wrong crowd and paid with his life. We'll jump into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to introduce a friend of the podcast and invite them to listen. With your help, the show can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderinmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam, or by searching for the Murder My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the Murder My Family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder my family. In each episode, I'll give shout outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank Elaine Fiorina and thank you to all of the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. Please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on the murder of my family the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsor support that this show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. And before we get started with the show, I know that many of you, like me, are going through a lot right now, the likes many of us have never experienced before. And I just want to tell all my listeners to be safe and healthy, and I'll try and continue bringing new episodes of this show to you. And now on with the show. The areas around Newark and Irvington in northern New Jersey have long been known as areas with a high crime rate. In these neighborhoods, drive-by shootings and gang activity aren't uncommon. But in these communities, the majority of citizens there are honest, hard-working people. One of those people was Charles Anthony McKinney Jr. of Newark. Growing up, Charles attended Arts High School in Newark where he enjoyed drawing and graphic arts. He graduated from there in 1994 and went on to attend college at Essex County and Gibbs Colleges. After college, Charles became a hard worker and he worked a lot, holding down multiple jobs at both FedEx and Newark Airport. He stayed busy with his jobs and avoided trouble 
trying not to get mixed up with the wrong crowd. For a time, he even considered becoming a police officer. When Charles wasn't working, he was busy spending time with his friends and family. Charles had a reputation as being someone that would go out of his way to do stuff to help people that he cared about. According to his sister Tamla, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone that had a bad word to say about Charles. He was the essence of what she would want any son of hers to be. In his spare time, Charles would tinker with computers, taking them apart and building them. His room was stocked with computer parts of all kinds. But one thing that Charles really took pride in was his Jeep Cherokee. When he had some downtime, he was usually driving it or taking care of it. Many of his friends would joke about how much time he spent in his SUV. In early 2014, 37-year-old Charles was enjoying being a father to his 11-year-old son, Elijah. He also learned that he had another child on the way, a child that was due in three months. Being a father and having to support not only himself, but two children, gave him the motivation to keep working his two jobs. Charles was looking forward to what the future might hold. But just over six years ago, on Monday, February 24th, 2014, Charles' life would come to a violent end. As a favor, Charles drove his cousin from Newark to nearby Irvington. When they arrived at their destination on the 200 block of 21st Street, Charles waited in his Jeep while his cousin completed an errand. At around 12.40 p.m., as he sat waiting, Charles was approached by two or more young men. Without warning, a gun was pulled, and someone opened fire on Charles as he sat behind the wheel of his Jeep. He was struck in the head and slumped over the steering wheel. A witness reportedly heard one of the men say as they quickly left the scene that they got the wrong guy. Charles was mortally wounded, and police and emergency personnel were called. When his cousin found out that Charles had been shot, he scrambled to call Charles's family and break the news to them. And when they learned that Charles had been shot, there was a lot of confusion and chaos. They didn't know where Charles was or what condition he was in. After checking a nearby hospital, they determined that Charles was still at the location where he had been shot at. His sister Tamla, after getting a call from her mom, rushed to the scene. But by the time she got there, Charles had been taken to University Hospital in Newark. His loved ones scrambled to get there, but they were too late. Charles was pronounced dead at 1.22 p.m. His murder stunned and devastated his family. Charles was the last person that they thought might be the victim of such a violent and senseless crime. And police would have their work cut out for them. In an area where violent crime is a frequent occurrence, and where witnesses aren't usually willing to talk out of fear of retaliation, they would have an uphill battle. There were rumors and gossip about who might have murdered Charles, but in the end, no one was arrested. The case got a one-paragraph mention for the most part on a local New York area CBS news clip. After that, it seemed as if the case was doomed to be forgotten, mixed into a collection of unsolved violent crimes in that area. The celebration of his life was held for Charles at the Emanuel Baptist Church in Newark, followed by funeral services at Fairmont Cemetery. Many of his friends and family came to pay their respects. Charles's sister, Tamla, was determined to not let her brother's case get lost in the shuffle of other cases. She wanted people to know that Charles was a good brother and father, a hard worker, and a good citizen, and not someone who was involved in a violent lifestyle. 
She wanted police to continue working on the murder case until an arrest was made, but that day hasn't come yet. In the aftermath of his murder, Charles's family was left to pick up the pieces, saddened and shocked that such a kind and giving person was gone from their lives. Just when things seemed like they couldn't get worse for Charles's family, they did, and 2014 would turn out to be an unbearable year for them. Just over eight months after Charles was murdered, a fast-moving fire broke out in his family's home. When it was finally extinguished, two women were dead. Charles's mother, Charlotte, and his sister, Tanya. In a year of unbelievable heartache, Charles's sister, Tamla, found herself once again trying to recover from a devastating loss. Six years later, despite some serious health issues, Tamla's still trying to make sure that her brother's case isn't forgotten in hopes that one day, despite the odds being against it, that someone is held accountable for her brother's murder. She wants to know why Charles's sons, Elijah and Sir Jaden, who was born three months after Charles was murdered, don't get to have their father in their lives. She sat down to talk to me about Charles's murder and her efforts to help honor his memory. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Hey everyone, I want to talk to you about our sponsor, Audible, one of my absolute favorite go-tos. What is Audible? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. With an Audible membership, you can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. You can listen across devices without losing your spot. How cool is that? Every month, Audible members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible Originals from a monthly selection, and access to Daily News Digest from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Audible has thousands of titles available in every genre. And don't think for a second that Audible only offers audiobooks. Far from it. They also have podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. This week, I checked out the Audible original, Call Me God, about the DC sniper investigation. And to mix it up, I also checked out His Way, the unauthorized biography of Frank Sinatra. I always find stuff I love on Audible, and you can too. So start exploring Audible right now. To get started, visit audible.com slash fam or text fam, F-A-M, to 500-500. You won't be disappointed. One more time, visit audible.com slash fam or text fam to 500-500. Our next sponsor is BetterHelp. Is there something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Licensed professional counselors are available who are specialized in anger issues, depression, stress, anxiety, and so much more. Anything you share is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. There are 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across the 50 states, and BetterHelp is available worldwide. Start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is available on desktop, mobile web, Android, and iOS apps. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line. 
but it is secure, convenient, and professional. And financial aid is available for those who qualify. If you're a regular listener of this show, then you know that sometimes we all have to deal with a lot. And BetterHelp can help you through those times. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. The Murder of My Family listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code FAMILY. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com slash family. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. Once again, that's BetterHelp.com slash family. Thanks for being with us to discuss your brother Charles and his case. Hi, how are you? How are you doing today? I guess to start off, how close were you and, and your brother Charles? Well, me and my brother, we, when we were young and all into adulthood, we were like Batman and Robin. Like, we were inseparable, and everybody knew it. Like, if I needed my brother for something, he would drop everything and come. And matter of fact, that morning, I called him because um, I took my daughter to the doctor, and she had walking pneumonia. And I called him to ask him, can he take us to the pharmacy? And he came right away. I saw him that morning. He took me to pick up her medicine, and he took me to my credit union. And then he dropped me off and said he was going to go get his tire fixed and do his taxes. But he he called one of my younger cousins and uh, asked him, did he want to go for the ride with him? You know, and that was the last time I seen him, you know. So it sounds like your brother was willing to help out and, and try and um, help with family stuff and give you a hand if he could. Always. Um, my brother had this term he would call me. He would always say, I love you, Bigum, you know, and um, every time he left me, he would say it. He'd say, I love you, Bigums. And I'd tell him, yeah, I love you too, sport. <laughs> you know, he, uh, my brother, he was always doing stuff for everybody, always. And he worked two jobs. He worked at FedEx for about 17, 17 years. Um, it might even be more. It w- might even be more because even um, – the top, uh, one of the top execs and his supervisors attended his funeral because they say he was one of the most well-liked employees and hardworking employees in their facility. So that just goes to demonstrate what type of person he was. He, you know, he never let you down. Um, he was not a street person, not a, not one bit. Um, he didn't get into altercations and things like that. You know, he was just a, a loving person. If you, if I called him and said, I have a friend who broke down on the highway, um, can you go help him out? He don't even know him and he would go help him out just cause I asked him to loved his family and he had a son. He worshiped his son. There's nothing in this world he didn't do for his son. If you go into his room, he had pictures of his son everywhere, of him and his son. You know, um, he helped my mother out tremendously. And, you know, that was my mother's only uh, little boy. He was the youngest. He was the baby. Did you have a big family? No, my family, my complete family is large, but the family that 
I grew up with, um, the family I remember was very small. So when I grew up, I grew up with my brother and my sister, and I have three cousins that grew up like brother and sisters with us, you know, and then that's pretty much the dynamics. And 2014 was one of the roughest years of my life because when my brother died, I felt like half of me went with him. He died in February, February 24th, 2014. And eight months later, the house that we grew up in, our family home caught on fire, and my mother and sister died October 11th, 2014. So that was pretty much 98% of my family that I grew up with personally. So, you know, it's it's just been difficult. Yeah, that's and I, I read through that when I was researching and, and saw that the fire had, had killed your mother and sister. Um and you know, condolences to you for having to go through all of that in, in one year. Take us back to, to February two thousand fourteen when when your brother was killed. How did you find out yourself that he had been killed? Um, like I said, my brother had just dropped me and my daughter off and you know, it seemed to me, like only minutes later, but I'm finding now it was probably uh, 45 minutes to an hour later. But my phone started ringing. I was on the phone with a coworker of mine offering my condolences to him because he just lost his sister. And my other phone, I had two cell phones at the time, and my other cell phone, it just wouldn't stop ringing. And I said, you know what, it's probably my mother because she just got her another new cell phone. And she likes to play with her cell phone, call everybody all day long. So I tell my daughter to call your grandmother and see if your grandmother's calling me. And I just kept ignoring that phone call. And then I finally picked it up, and it was my younger cousin that my brother went to pick up. And he's screaming into the phone, and he's going, they shot him in the head. They shot him in the head. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, because it never crossed my mind that my brother would die this way. And he was like, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. They shot Charles in the head. And I was like, if y'all playing a trick on me, this is not funny. And that's what I told him. Like, this is not funny. This isn't funny. But then he started crying like this horrible scream and cry and at that point that's when I realized that it's true that my brother just got shot in the head and my daughter was on the phone with my mother and I just started screaming and my daughter dropped her phone and ran over and said mom what's the matter what's the matter and I said somebody shot Charles in the head and my daughter started screaming and I have chronic asthma and I started going into an asthma attack and my daughter got my machine my neighbor came because I was screaming so loud, and she uh, she said, you put your shoes on. Come on, let's get to the hospital. We got down to University Hospital, and they were like, no gunshot victims came through here. And we were like, okay, this is where all the gunshot victims come to. Like, what's going on? So then my other cousin called me. And she was like, where you at? I said, I'm at the hospital. She was like, oh, I'm on the way over to uh, where Charles got shot. And I said, oh, my God. So she gave me the address. 
and we started over there. And my cousin was on the phone with us the whole time. And then she said, oh, my God, the ambulance is not even here yet. Now, if you were familiar with my area, I live all the way up the hill by Seton Hall University. The hospital is halfway downtown north. That's quite a bit of a ride. My cousin said she was on Broad Street and Market Street, which is all the way downtown, and she ran all the way to the hospital. So there was some type of major delay in the ambulance getting to my brother because I should have not gotten to the hospital before an ambulance got him to the hospital because he was closer to the hospital where he was at. And when I got to the scene, they had my brother's car doors open, all of them. The trunk, he had a a Jeep Cherokee. Um, The trunk, and then they had his, FedEx uniforms, anybody that knows my brother knows that my brother has like a whole wardrobe of FedEx uniforms. And usually when you see my brother, he's either going to work or coming to work. So he usually always have it on. Very rarely do you see him without his uniform on. And uh, they had him stretched on the ground. And I was like, what are you guys doing to my brother's stuff? And they're like, oh, uh, your brother, where's my brother? They said, oh, he's the deceased, I said, my brother's dead. And then the cop said, oh, no, no, no. They just took him to the hospital. So I said, let's go back to the hospital. I go back to the hospital and, you know, my cousin and things were there. And, and then my mother showed up. And then people started showing up at the hospital, like friends and stuff that was hearing about it. Um, and, uh, they took us to a back room, to a family room, and they had us wait in there. And, you know, they was like, they'll update us. And then, you know, the nurse came and she said, you know, despite our greatest efforts, we were unable to revive Mr. McKinney. And uh, he, he suffered a massive heart attack. And um, they brought him back once, but the second time they couldn't. So... Um, he passed away, and my mother just fell like a ton of bricks. And we were all trying to fan her, and the doctor said that, you know, it's better she stay down there because her pressure just dropped really low, and it's better that she just lay there for a minute. And it was it was unreal. It, it was unreal. Like, just those few seconds, it just seemed like the world was spinning, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe that somebody shot my brother. If they knew, if this person knew my brother, he would have never even pointed a gun at him, let alone shoot him, you know. And I just was like, you know, this can't be happening. And then they said that if anybody wanted to go back and see my brother, they could. So my mother and, uh, you know, my sister and a few people went back there, but I couldn't because my brother, if it wasn't for my brother, I wouldn't have my job at the post office. If it wasn't for my brother, a lot of things that I have done in my life was because my brother helped me. And my brother, one day I called him, I said, I need a ride to work. And he said, oh, sure. As he's driving for work, he says, you know, I just missed my police training. He was supposed to go into the police academy. 
And I said, why you didn't say nothing? He said, oh, because I could just go in next time. He was like, it's okay. I, I'll go in next time. And I just said, you didn't have to miss your training. But that's the type of person he was. He's, you know, He sacrificed, it sounded like, to help other people. All the time. He always sacrificed. And see, my my cousins, they they wasn't always on a straight and narrow. And my brother would go out his way to try to get them to change. And so he felt by, like, if I take them with me when I go to take care of things, is you know, showing them that there's a better life. If you do things the right way, maybe that'll, you know, make them think. So every chance he'd get, he would call one of them up and say, hey, come take a ride with me. And that's what he was doing that morning. And and then he ended up dead. And the detectives came to me at the hospital, and they were asking me questions. Um, uh, they asked me that I know someone named Mo, and I told them, um, I don't know anyone named Mo, but I have a cousin named Maurice, but he's, you know, most of my cousins are, are kind of on a geeky side, and Maurice is, like, the head geek of the crew. He's the one that's, like, calculating everything in his brain every five seconds, you know. Um, so I say, and I know he has nothing to do with this. And then um, he asked me, did my brother have a cell phone? And the wallet, and I said he has a wallet, and he would never part with it because my grandfather gave that to him. And my grandfather was like our father when we were growing up. He was the man of the house, and my brother would have never parted with his wallet. And I said, and his cell phone was usually glued to his hand, you know. And the detectives had informed me that they didn't find either one on him at the scene or on his person when they got him to the hospital. So I said, well, that's strange, you know, because I was with my brother earlier and um, I had gave him a little bit of change so he can uh, go fix his tire because um, he he lost his, his Mac card and he would have had to drive all the way to Jersey City to the bank. So I said, I'll give it to you. And he pulled his wallet out, so I know that he had his wallet with him, you know. And uh, the detectives, they just was like, you know, we'll, we'll continue to investigate. And the next morning, we went down there, me, my mother, and my father, and my sister. And um, the detective, he, like, he was trying to be very sincere. And he got down on his knees to my mother, and he held her hand, and he says, I just want to let you know that we did extensive background on your son, and he was one of the good guys. He was like, this is looking like a case of mistaken identity at this point. Um, they had a eyewitness that I guess they uh, a way to describe him would be the neighborhood drunk or whatever, but he saw the whole thing. He told the cops that the boys walked past the vehicle um, but my brother was too busy in his phone to pay attention. And they came back, and my cousin came down and got in the car. My brother still was fumbling inside with his phone. And then when the guys walked up to the window and raised the gun, 
I guess, you know, my little cousin, he's a little guy. He said he balked up on the floor. And it was too late for him to say or do anything, and they just started shooting into the car. And according to the witness from what the police told me that the the boy said, the boy that was shooting on my um, brother's side said, oh, blank, that's not him, that's not him. And they kind of like, they didn't run away. They kind of like, like walk quickly away. They didn't get in the car, nothing. The guy didn't say, he said at that point, he don't know where they went. Um, and so, you know, my brother was just there pretty much just, you know, dying and, and, and they still haven't caught these guys. Um, at one point, they thought that the gunfire might have been for my cousin, but then they ruled that out. And then they they um, they locked a young man up who killed somebody exactly a month later, March 24th, who they said was most likely responsible for my brother's murder also. The other guy that was with him, I guess, was going to turn state witness against the actual shooter, but they couldn't charge him with the murder because my cousin or no other witness can corroborate what the guy was saying. So that guy ended up doing less than five years for the murder that he committed in March off of some type of plea agreement. Now, they had this plea agreement on RLS Media, which is a news outlet that's on Facebook. And someone called me and said, did you read on RLS? And at the time I said, no, I didn't. And they said, <clears throat> they suspect that same young man of four other murders. They didn't list what murders. And they believed that they included those murders in the plea agreement he got for five years. And um, they just wrapped it up like that. And he's out now already. He's been out over a year now. Walking the streets. Walking the streets. This is a young man that they, they believe strongly committed four to five other murders. My brothers, maybe one of them included. And I've never got from the prosecutor's office because then they called my cousin down there. They wanted to talk to him again. My cousin asked me to go with him. We go with him. He's back, in the, back there for hours. I asked the detective, I said, y'all called him down here. Do y'all think that he knows something or was it intended for him? They was like, no, at that time, that's when they were trying to corroborate the story of the other guy. And my cousin told him he doesn't know. I'm not too happy with my cousin either because he's in the streets. And so he goes by this code of um, no snitching and, and stuff. And I, in my heart, I believe he knows exactly what happened and who was involved in everything. Um, but when we went back down to the, um, 
prosecutor's office, they kind of got snippy with me when I asked them, like, you know, I asked him for the detective that's handling the case. And he was like, oh, he's not here. You can have a seat. They, I had me sitting there for two hours. I went and I said, did the detective come in yet? And he was like, oh, you think your case is so important? Soon as your case dropped, he got two more cases. This is a revolving thing. And, and he was like, and if you really want to know what happened to your brother, talk to your little cousin. Wow. So they kind of left it like that. And, you know, at that time, my mother was just, my mother was losing it. You know, um, if you read the article, my mother, my mother and my sister, they were known in the community for helping out. Um, They were like kind of community leaders and stuff. And they they did the PTA for the schools. my mother was part of the Abbott Foundation um, um, for the, for education. She participated. She did a lot of stuff for the neighborhood, you know, um, and she never asked for anything in return. All she asked is that they find the person that did this and put them behind bars. And she died not getting what she asked for, you know, and when I called down there, you know, you just get shuffled around. So I stopped calling, you know, because I can't let it consume my life. I can, All I can do is pray now that one day they'll solve my brother's case. It, it, so it sounds like in the end your brother was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was just a case of mistaken identity. It was just cold-blooded murder. Um, yes. And yes. I, I, unfortunately, I, I guess there's a lot of uh, gun violence, and that was just um, uh, part of it. Um, yeah. And ironic that he tried to steer clear of all that stuff and, and still wound up being a victim to it. Um, yes. And, exactly. And, and you mentioned that the, a, a suspect in the case is out on the streets. Um, so they'd never officially charged him with, with your brother's murder, although they suspect he did it. Um, nope. They so never they officially charged him with it. Okay. Um, but, go ahead. I was, and I was going to say the case is officially open. Your brother's case still remains officially open, even though you don't think they're doing a lot with it. Exactly. Um, they have never came and said, Hey, we, charged anyone with the case or, or, you know, we included your brother's murder in the plea agreement. They had, no one has ever came to me and said anything about it, anything about it. And, you know, every once in a while I'll call out there, but then, you know, I get this phone shuffle, like, Oh, please hold. And then sometimes the phone will hang up, you know, after sitting here for 40 minutes. Um, you know, and I don't drive, and, you know, I've been having a lot of health issues lately, so I can't get up and go down there every day. And and part of the reason why I think they kind of, like, brushed my brother's murder in, I've noticed the pattern in the, the media. His murder wasn't sensationalized. You know, there was no headlines to catch behind it. You know, 
even on the news, they ran they ran my brother's story on the news. Um, it was less than two, less than a minute long, you know, and that's because my mother didn't feel comfortable going on camera and giving them the tears that they wanted and stuff like that. There was nobody to 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 go on on the camera and say, oh, you know, the the normal uh um story that they tell and, and you know, because we we're we we're very private, you know, we're a very private person. So nobody wanted to go on the, the news and cry and say, oh, this should have never happened. Um, my mother went down to the prosecutor's office and said it to who, need, who it needed to be said to, that this should have never happened. You know, this boy spent his entire life trying to stay out of trouble and, and dodge negativity and 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 work hard and and be a loving, warm person just to end up getting killed by a gun anyway. You know, and it's 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 sad and it's sad that, you know, because it wasn't sensationalized, there was no big headline like drug dealer gets killed in drug battle or or nothing to sensationalize it. That just a, you know, another everyday Joe Smo murder and that was it. I tried everything I could to find out where they were at with my brother's murder. And just it just doesn't seem like, you know, his murder fit the fold for priority because they're saying people constantly get killed in Newark. And I understand that, that, you know, he's not the only one that's getting killed, but um, they just had a murder a few blocks from where my brother was killed. And you had all the politicians and them patting themselves on the back because they caught the murderer right away. But the murderer lived around the corner and was hanging out. You know, y'all didn't have to do a, you know, who done it. They got caught clearly on camera. The guy that killed my brother was caught clearly on the camera. They had the street cameras. They're not very clear, but they kind of got uh, the gist of who done it. But because the cameras wasn't clear enough, they couldn't use them. So I, I'm just, every day when I think about it, I, I just hope that my brother is resting easy and not tormented of these people walking free that killed them. Well, you've done a, a lot to keep his memory alive and honor his memory. Um, you've got the uh, Facebook page, A Memory of Charles Anthony McKinney Jr. I know yeah. you, you also created a YouTube page as well. Um, yeah. So you've done your part to, to try and uh, let people know who he was and honor his memory. That's pretty admirable. Um, yeah. If someone out there listening does have information and they can... Uh, possibly help in your brother's case, who should they call to to relay that information? The Essex County Prosecutor's Office. If you look on his um, Facebook page in memory of Charles McKinney Jr., um, the number for the Essex County Prosecutor's Office 
um, is on that page as well. Um, and we'll we'll put that I, in the notes too. We'll put that in the, in there so people can find it. Okay, I just pray that you know somebody would really who has evidence because a lot of times people know things. Everybody in the streets is coming back and saying, "Yeah, this guy did it. This guy did it." And I say to them, "Go to the police with it. No one wants to do it." It's like everybody knows that this guy did it, you know, but no one wants to say anything. Put yourselves in my shoes. I lost somebody that was so, so, so dear to me, you know, and I couldn't fathom somebody else's family having to go through that and then have the murder just walk around free without a care in the world. And is so it... Please, it is is it a case? Do you think that people are afraid to talk, or are they just like you mentioned earlier, they don't want to be a snitch? What do you think the reason is they're not talking? I I do believe it's a combination. I do believe it's a combination. Some people are afraid to talk. You know, you're talking about a young man where they say he already murdered possibly four people, plus he was convicted of a murder. And from what I understand, that the murder that he was convicted of was supposed to have been a friend of his, you know, um, uh, people, people know, but they're afraid because apparently this guy is very dangerous. You know, um, they have the anonymous hotlines now, but sometimes I, even I know that them anonymous hotlines ain't so anonymous because I have called the cops before on, if I saw drug dealers or if, if, you know, I happen to see somebody flash a gun, they come straight to your house instead of go to where you said the incident is occurring, which lets the people know that you must have been the one to call the cops. So that's why people don't tend to not call the cops. You know, they should come up with a better system you know, because when they do stuff like that, they do put you at risk because you do become a target, you know. Um, but I do hear that they had the uh, the hotline for anonymous tips, and, and they, those tips may or may not be anonymous. Um, I was disappointed when they didn't offer a, a reward for any information for my brother who paid taxes since he was 16. My brother was working since he was 16 and, and he worked his entire life and he was a good citizen and he did everything right. And, and he got killed on a city street and they didn't bother to offer reward. And then Two months later, a drug dealer in the middle of a drug deal got killed, and they offered a 10000 reward leading to an arrest of who killed him. And I took that. It's hard to even say. I can't even put into words how I felt about that. I felt like they were saying that my brother's life wasn't worth a reward. But then someone else's child who chose that life was because they all got onto the TV and cried about it, you know, and it's just, it's hard dealing with it, 
it's hard feeling with it. I have so many pictures of my brother and his son. And, and the worst part of all is my brother had a son after he died that he never got to see. He never got to meet. And he looks just like him. He'll never get to hug him. You know, he'll never get to, you know, spoil him like he did his first son. You know, he, and he just missed out. My my brother loved his son, Elijah, so much. And he, you know, if he see the young man that he has grown into, he would be so proud right now. He would be so proud. Um, his son is um, studying to become a firefighter in South Carolina. Um, and his younger son just started school, the one that he never got a chance to meet. So it's, it's rough. And I, I'm trying to stay in touch with them and stuff so they'll know, you know, it's hard explaining to the younger one about his father because he never met him. Yeah. You know? Hopefully for their sake um, and for your sake, there is some kind of resolution and, and the truth comes out and the right person is arrested and pays for your brother's murder at some point. I hope so. I can't thank you enough, Tamla, for, for sharing uh, your, your family's story. It was a very tragic and, I, you know, from not just your brother's murder, but then the fire that, that took the lives of your um, mom and sister too so um, I, I know it's difficult to talk about that but I appreciate you coming on and, and opening up and, and sharing all that with us thank you thank you for having me thank you once again for joining me for this episode of the murder of my family as we wrap up I'd like to play a preview of a true crime podcast that I think you'll really enjoy it's called Lady Justice we'll be back here soon with an all new episode and remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. Hello, my lovelies. My name is Chantelle, and I'm the host over at Lady Justice True Crime. Lady Justice is a weekly podcast that covers fascinating cases, both past and present, from around the UK and Ireland. Some of them are strange. Many are unbelievable. All of them are completely unique under someone's story. So please come join me on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.